voices. They taste like roasted corn. Month of Mothman, episode four. This week we'll be talking about the UFO activity surrounding Point Pleasant and the surrounding areas in 1966 and 1967. If you've got a cool UFO story you want to tell, or if you've seen a man in black, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to endourplacespod at hotmail.com. Greetings, listeners. This is Mr. Haunted, bringing you In Dark Places news. A giant rubber duck's presence in Maine Harbor remains a mystery. On August 18th, a giant rubber ducky made a surprise appearance in a Maine Harbor. An official said they have no idea who put it there or why. Catherine Gibbon, the harbor master at Belfast Harbor, said the giant yellow duck, estimated to be about 25 feet tall, appears to be anchored in the shallow part of the harbor. The duck has the word joy written in large letters on its front. Everyone loves it, she told the Bangor Daily News. I have no idea who owns it, but it's kind of, it kind of fits Belfast. A lot of people want to keep it here. Anonymous reports corroborate July 22nd winged humanoid sighting at O'Hare International Airport. First published by Manuel Navarte of UFO Clearinghouse earlier this month. The initial report involved three witnesses who claimed to have seen a security detachment respond to a winged humanoid sighting at the airport's United Cargo Facility. Following the report, Lon Strickler of Phantoms and Monsters received the following email on August 9th. I saw your article about the flying creature at O'Hare and wanted to reach out to you and tell you what I saw on that night. I'm reaching out to tell you this story, but I do not want any of my information being given out to the public because I will not risk losing my job over this. We have been told by our supervisors to never report anything that we saw to anybody outside of the company. So, I am taking a chance reporting this to you. We were unloading a cargo plane that had just arrived from the Miami hub when a couple of people noticed this large person that was standing over by the fence about 40 feet from the plane. It was tall, about 7 feet, and was completely black, but with some solid red glowing eyes. We radioed it in since we figured it was some idiot that might have scaled the fence and was wandering around the tarmac. We were told to report anything suspicious we see to our supervisors, who were then calling security to take the person away. The security people came within three minutes of our call and had shined some light on it when I saw that it was black and had a large pair of wings. It then took off into the air and started making a loud sound before flying off. After it flew off, a bunch of other people showed up, including many of our supervisors. We all heard about the things that are seen around the airport, including the Mothman, but I never believed it until I saw it with my own eyes. I talked about it with some of my friends, and they saw the same thing, but we're not going to say anything because we were told at our meeting that we were not to report anything we saw to anybody but our supervisors. We were told, do not report to the news or anybody who asked about what was seen at the airport. I am submitting this to you because I want to remain anonymous because 
I have had this job since I left the Navy, and I don't want to lose my job or my benefits. I have been here over six years, and I have a family to support and cannot risk losing my job over something like this. I know it sounds incredible, but I can promise you that I am not telling you any lies and that everything I told you happened. I know there were at least eight of us working that day on this plane, not counting any supervisors or tug operators working around the area. I'm doing what I can to prevent my name from being posted or somebody from my company finding out that I reported this. I am willing to talk only by email, but that is it. No, I will not risk losing my job over this report, and I will not risk my name being put out there and people thinking I have lost my absolute mind. Strickler said he corresponded with the witness, who is seriously fearful of losing his job because he came forward. I only refer to the witness as E.W., he added. That fear has been a common narrative element of many winged humanoid sighting reports from people employed at O'Hare, and has hindered the ability of investigators to confirm the identities of witnesses and follow up on the sighting details. Strickler later told the Singular Fortean Society that he had once again corresponded with his source at the airport, a ground supervisor for one of the airlines, who said, I'm sorry, Lon, for not wanting to talk over the phone, but they called a meeting yesterday before we started work, and we were told that for security purposes, we were prohibited from talking to anyone regarding these sightings. We were told that they have determined that it was a large seagull, or heron, and there was nothing unusual about it. For the sake of security, we were prohibited from talking about it, and that if we did, it could lead to immediate termination. So, you can see why I'm not willing to talk over the phone. The day after Strickler received the previous report, Manuel Navarte of UFO Clearinghouse published a report that he had found in the Mutual UFO Network MUFON case management system. That report, case file 117223, shown below, also purportedly came from a member of the ground crew working during the July 22nd sighting. I am part of the ground crew for a major air cargo facility at O'Hare. We were working on unloading a cargo plane that had arrived earlier that morning. I was operating one of the lifts that lifts cargo containers down from the plane to the ground. It was about 10 at night when the call came over our radio said there was a report of an unknown person being seen on the tarmac near the fence. I began looking around and I saw a large man standing approximately 50 feet away from us near the fence, separating us from the road. He must have been close to 7 feet tall, but... I was not close enough to tell for sure. He was wearing what looked like a black coat and was just standing there. I radioed my supervisor that I saw someone over by the fence, and my supervisor ran over to where I was at. By this time, the entire ground crew was aware of this man's presence and was radioing in to their supervisors. It must have been no more than 20 seconds after that that the first of many airport security vehicles showed up. One approached the man from the other side of the fence, while another two drove past us and stopped short of the man, 
who by this time was easier to see with the car lights on him. It did not look like any man I have ever seen. He was solid black and had red eyes. It must have been reflecting the lights, like a cat's eyes. It also had wings that were now spread open. It must have been 15 feet from tip to tip. This man let out a loud screech. It sounded a lot like a barn owl and it tried to warn you away. This man then started flapping its wings and took off. You could hear the sound of the wings as it took off into the air and was gone in seconds. I was honestly scared for my life. I started to pray for protection. I know in this world that demons walk among us, and I was certain that whatever this thing was, it had to be demonic and an agent of the devil. A lot of my co-workers were also very frightened after this thing took off. Many of them ran inside the safety of the plane when it took off. I am certain that this was a demon, and it must have been sent here to frighten us. Strickler, who also published the MUFON report to Phantoms and Monsters, said, From the information gathered, I suspect that the MUFON CMS report came from another member of the cargo ground crew working with EW. I believe that these were employees of FedEx because of the sighting, proximity, and distance from the tarmac. As reported previously, the O'Hare management and carrier companies are taking these winged humanoid sightings very seriously and have warned all employees to not contact us. We are so grateful for those folks who have come forward and who continue to assist us in our determination to find answers. He added, that's from singularfortian.com. An unusual water rescue in St. Bernard Parish in Louisiana after Hurricane Ida saw crews using a chainsaw to cut branches away from a cow caught in a tree stranded above floodwaters. The cow appeared unharmed in a video posted by parish officials. It was reportedly rescued Tuesday near the Florissant Highway, which experienced flooding and storm surge from Hurricane Ida. Now, stay tuned for more In Dark Places. Good friend Kyle Levern is back on the show. Kyle, how are you? Pretty good. Uh, still getting over my recent eye surgeries, but uh, I'm uh, doing a little better, you know, working and, you know, how it is. You got to pay the bills, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still working every day, but uh, glad to see a little bit of cooler weather here. Nice, beautiful day today in the 70s, blue skies. But, uh, yeah, I know you were talking to me the other day about the uh, Mothman Festival, and we're looking forward to going back to it. I know you're a regular up there, but uh, due to COVID, they canceled it again this year. It's two years in a row. Yeah, you can tell they didn't want to cancel that because it's a huge revenue for Point Pleasant. It's uh, tough for the town of Point Pleasant there, a big festival, good for their economy, and of course they've got the Mothman Museum, and and uh, it's a good little little trip for people. And I read the, uh, recently read the Mothman Prophecies by John Keel, and you know, the book's been out a few years, but I uh, thought we could talk about that and some of the things of that, since it's uh, the Mothman Festival Month, and uh, you know, coming up on a been a few years since uh, the mid-60s era when the Mothman was first spotted, and and then a lot of people don't realize that during that time, the several months, it was 
hundreds of UFO sightings also uh, in the Ohio Valley there, Point Pleasant and across the river in uh, Gallipolis, Ohio, and in that area. So it's pretty interesting. I heard John Keel talking on some old interview uh, for like every Mothman sighting during 66 and 67, there was like 10 times more UFO sightings. You'll read a lot more about UFOs than you will Moth- the Mothman. Uh, you know, Keel was uh, sort of like myself, a journalist, freelance writer. Uh, they call him ufo- ufologist, which a lot of people say they are. Some people have called me that, but I feel more like I'm a UFO researcher and historian and and uh, an author. Uh, but uh, whatever, it's an interesting subject, something I've always been interested in, as you know, since an early age and continued to do it over the years and been lucky enough to had some articles printed in a couple magazines and was a Remember MUFON for a while, but I dropped out of that. I was got a little disenchanted with that organization, but uh, had the two books uh, printed, Appalachian UFOs, and got another one done, but I've never been able to get it in print. Maybe one of these days uh, I have that third one done. I feel like it's actually the best of the three, because <laughs> I learned a lot. But, um, you know, Kiel was uh, from New York, but he ended up spending a lot of time in uh, West Virginia, in the Point Pleasant area. Uh, researching the Mothman sightings and the UFO sightings down there. He interviewed probably hundreds of witnesses, uh, went around and, and he, you know, would camp out pretty much uh, on, on a hillside uh, where people had seen UFOs, and he was a witness himself. And, uh, you know, a lot of other people, as you mentioned, were, there was a lot more UFO sightings in that area. Uh, than the actual Mothman sightings. So it's uh, somehow people think it's connected. I guess that's one of those mysteries we may never know, but uh, it's interesting that it is. Here's a story from the Mothman Prophecies book. Late on the afternoon of March 31st, a workman in the Point Pleasant lumber yard saw a glowing object hovering over the home of Mrs. Doris DeWeese. Shortly afterward, Mrs. DeWeese watched a luminous object zip across the sky and crash into a small shack on a neighboring hillside. The shack housed the transmitter for Sheriff Johnson's police radio. It started to burn. What followed was straight out of the Keystone Cops. The police and fire department rushed to the snow-covered hill and bogged down on the mushy dirt road. There was much frantic scurrying and cursing as the men battled the blaze. Part of the hillside was badly scorched. The transmitter inside the shack was not affected by the fire, but it was burned out as if it had been struck by lightning. So, in the critical days that followed, the sheriff's department was without his main transmitter. Yeah, it destroyed that little building. It was their communications building, and it took out all their communication you know back then they did everything by radio uh again no cell phones or towers or anything like that and it was you know basically i guess akin to uh cb radios is what but maybe a little stronger what uh, first responders policemen firemen used at that time and it yeah, took out their whole communications and again and that's another thing you uh not only did you have civilians 
and the journalists we talked about that witnessed those UFOs, but you had uh, police officers in that area, deputy sheriffs, and I guess small town city policemen that also witnessed. And a lot of times people would call them, and they were, you know, I think reluctant to go out and then on the store the, on the uh, case when they'd get the call, but they would, and when they got there, they actually saw would see the UFOs too. Seems like that would have been a fairly big uh, news story. I bet that would have been some newspapers. I'd like to dig around. Try yeah, to find you could that probably, uh, if we could ever get the time to go uh, look through the old microfilm of uh, the uh, Point Pleasant and Athens Messenger newspapers from that time, there's probably lots of uh, Mary's stories that are in those old archives and be interesting to read and uh, probably a lot of good information in there. Yeah, it'd be cool to check that out. Yeah. As I say, this region has had lots of uh, interesting UFO stories, you know, we've talked about it before, the Braxton County monster, it was dubbed, it was actually a UFO case, and, you know, uh, I've touched on several other, just a few people that I've talked to uh, that, on the stories I had that witnessed UFOs, and you'd be surprised at the others that if I was just out at a book signing or just out somewhere, and people would come up to me and start talking to me because they knew that I was a believer because a lot of times they didn't want to share their story or talk to anybody else about it. And uh, it was, uh, you know, lots of people have seen some strange objects in the sky. From the Mothman Prophecies. The destruction of Sheriff Johnson's transmitter was just one small part of the scenario. Telephones, too, went bonkers that week. It seemed as if half the phones in the valley were either out of order altogether or were clogged with crazy beeps and buzzes. Accompanied by two teenagers, I hiked into the nearby hills in the total blackness. As my eyes became acclimated to the night, I began to distinguish a number of vague purple shapes hovering over a woods on Rolf Lee's property. At first, I thought they might be stars low in the sky, gleaming through the natural haze. But when I flashed my six-celled light at one of these purple blobs, it suddenly and jerkily moved to one side, as if it were jumping out of my light beam. Fascinated, I repeated the experiment several times. Then I tried flashing the light at obvious stars to see if this wasn't just some trick of my eyesight. The stars didn't move, naturally. We sat on the hilltop studying the purple blobs for several minutes when suddenly the whole forest in the valley below lit up and glowed with a bright, eerie purple light. There were no houses or roads down there. It would have been a long hike in the dark and the boys were reluctant to join me. So we just sat and stared at the glowing forest until the light faded. You know, his book is, is real interesting, not to, you know, give it a plug or anything. It's that's up to people that want, if they want to buy it, they can, or go to the library. Probably most libraries have it. But, uh, you know, t- t- it mostly takes place there in the mid-60s, 66, 67. And yeah, the book actually came out in 1975. And, uh, and then, of course, later on, the movie, The Mothman Prophecies, starring Richard Gere, came out later, which the movie's nowhere close to the book. The books are always better. And 
a lot of times Hollywood sort of takes liberties with books like, like this. And you and I were talking off the, the air that uh, I, I know Travis Walton, who's one of the most famous abductees, who was a, you know, that happened to him in the early 70s. And they made the movie Fire in the Sky, which was an entertaining movie, but it wasn't as good as the book. And then Travis will tell you that the Hollywood and took a lot of liberties with making that movie and wasn't quite exactly what happened to him. Uh, and he's actually would like to make another movie and have more control over uh, how they make the movie this time. I don't know if that ever happened. I hope it does because he's like me and you. We want to see the truth mm-hmm. told when somebody comes out with a story or a movie or a documentary or whatever it may be. And uh, and in Hollywood's some, sometimes they like to dramatize a little bit and put a little comedy in it and maybe change things for whatever reason and I guess they think it uh, sells more tickets but <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm uh, old school and like things to be exactly the way people tell me and where I'm a journalist and when I did interview people uh, that had UFO reports or sightings I just reported it and let them tell the story basically exactly how they said and uh, write it up that way. I think that's what Kill did also with some of his uh, reports and all his notes. Of course, he passed away in uh, 2009, and, uh, but uh, he got the book out. And You know, the book culminates, and you, you know a lot about this, and we know uh, one of the worst disasters in West Virginia history was uh, in 1967 in December, it happened on December 15th, the Silver Bridge collapsed there. Uh, in Point Pleasant, going across the Ohio River toward Ohio, and killed several people. And you know that was right around the time the Mothman was being spotted. And you know it, uh, he mentions that at the end of the book. And uh, so uh, you know they sort of tie that into it. And some people even say they spotted a, a glowing object near the bridge at that time. Some there's even been people said they spotted the Mothman on the Silver Bridge. But you know who knows truth in those situations but makes the you know it's a real life story it really happened and uh, it's not fiction i would have loved to have met john keel but he uh left here before i ever started going to the mothman festival i missed out on getting to shake his hand yeah that would have been neat to meet him and another west the guy from west virginia and they've got a whole wing at the clarksburg library it was gray barker who was an early uh, ufo uh writer and uh, researcher and investigations. I don't know if you heard about him, but uh, I know he also knew Kill, but uh, Gray was from West Virginia and was published in several uh, UFO magazines back in, during that time. And Of course, both of them are gone now. And I've got Gray Barker's book around here somewhere. They knew too much about flying saucers from 1956. I need to look around and try to find that book. I've got so many books laying around here. I don't know what I did with it. I've got everything so unorganized right now. I just kind of throw it in piles. Uh, another person I would like to meet that he mentions many times in the book is Mary Heyer. And uh, she was a reporter, a newspaper reporter there for uh, in Point Pleasant and also over in Athens, Ohio, with her sister paper. Yeah, I bet she had some stories. She had, yeah, she got calls constantly when this was going on about Mothman sightings and UFO sightings, and more than she could write. And I think in her situation, I know how it is because I've been there, they limited what she could write 
but you know she had did get to write a lot about it. But she went out with Kill. They became real good friends. They actually went out looking for UFOs and and witnessed them. And uh, she was a real good reporter. She died very young. She died in 1970 before the book came out. At only age 55. But uh, I would love to have met her. And you know she in the book it talks about a lot of strange things that happened to her and John Kill and other people. But they uh, got a lot of strange phone calls with. Uh, beeping noises and the, this is before cell phones you know if people are younger generation don't even know all you had was landlines then and uh it was a lot of strange things it was sort of paranormal that happened to her and john and a lot of other people up in that area and i think that's what the movie tries to lean more toward that but uh as we know there's a lot more to the ufo side of it but uh she uh pretty famous along with her you know with uh, her writing and as a reporter and was well known and uh, she was right in the heart of it you know probably talked to hundreds of people and she had uh, dealings with what we know is now as men in black the MIBs supposedly there was those kind of guys that were spotted in the Point Pleasant and the Galapagos area over that time span the guys in the dark suits sunglasses big long dark sedan cars and they were strangers nobody knew who they were they would show up sometimes coming and asking people questions or they would come by her newspaper they would go out to knock on people's doors that allegedly had sightings of ufos and question them and that uh, you know that's a whole nother realm of the ufo mystery is the men in black people wondered like are these guys government agents or are they you know extraterrestrials <laughs> trying to blend in that's another theory it's just been a lot of different theories there about the man in black and then keel talked about and many times in the book that people up there saw a lot of strangers uh, were dressed differently than what the locals were and they were dark complected not necessarily african-american but just dark complected. Some had sort of oriental features, long noses, strange looking, uh, and they appeared in that area several times too. And go around talking to people out in, out of nowhere, sometimes in the middle of the night, and uh, acting real strange. And uh, there's several stories in there. You just have to read the book that <laughs> gives you the creeps. And if that really happened to you, you know, it would be uh, probably give you a, a weird feeling. And you'd be like, who are these guys anyway? This is also from the Mothman Prophecies book. The next night, on Saturday, April 1st, Mary Hire and I drove up Five Mile Creek Road below Gallipolis Ferry until we reached a hilltop which commanded a view of the hills and valleys I had visited the night before. There was a single farmhouse on the hill and the people who lived there went to bed at 9.30 each night, being early risers. So, the whole area was silent deserted and without lights throughout the night. A few minutes after we arrived, Mary pointed out a small reddish light low on a steep wooded hill south of our position. It appeared to be blinking on and off and bobbing up and down in a manner quite different from any of the stars on the horizon. While we watched breathlessly, barely speaking, it slowly circled the distant fields and woods and crossed in front of us, edging closer and closer. The farmhouse was about 75 feet in front of us. 
The object now appeared to be square or rectangular. It could not be mistaken for a star. It vanished momentarily behind some trees north of the farmhouse, and when it reappeared, it was much closer. Now we could make out a dark form. The red glow seemed to be a window. It hovered about 35 feet off the ground. I thought I could see a shadowy human figure in the window, but Mary thought it was some kind of partition. This was the only point on which we disagreed. We sat transfixed for several minutes, fully expecting the object to land directly in front of us and ask to be taken to our leader. I finally got out of the car and flashed my powerful beam directly at the object. It responded instantly, quickly shooting straight up into the sky, the red light going out completely. I guess I blew it, I groaned, but there would have been other nights and more funny lights. Hundreds of UFO sightings during that time, and you know, uh, one of the in my first book, I, one of the stories I have was a school teacher that actually from my area, our area here in the Williamson area, but she was up in Point Pleasant for a wedding, and she saw a UFO, scared her to death, and that's one of the stories I had in my first book. So, and that was probably in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. Over the years, there's been still a lot of UFO sightings up in that area. I was fascinated with the Woodrow Derenberger story. He kind of touched on everything in the Mothman prophecies. He had the men in black run in and the UFO. He kind of had the whole deal going. Yeah, you know, the Woodrow Derenberger, it's an interesting story. Uh, For those who don't know, Woodrow Derenberger was from West Virginia, and he allegedly was driving home. He was a traveling salesman. And he lived near Mineral Wells, West Virginia, Parkersburg area. Allegedly driving home one night, and he said a UFO landed right on the road in front of him. And, you know, a guy got out, and uh, his name was Indrid Cole, Cold, C-O-L-D. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he swore that this was true, and he called himself a contactee, not an abductee, as we know nowadays, and that he had continuing... Uh, meetings with this uh, extraterrestrial and uh, who was basically like a man and uh, over the years and you know he 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 was interviewed by a lot of people at that time you know newspapers tv and he swore that it happened and you know cole would tell him where he was from what planet and uh you know it was uh you know he would receive telepathic messages from him continuing communications and it, uh, it's an interesting another story of in West Virginia that happened in West Virginia and near Point Pleasant has to do with UFOs and ETs and uh, like you said, uh, Men in Black. Uh, our state has a rich history in in this phenomenon. He never changed his story. He would tell it over and over on all his news shows and everything, and he always stayed true to his story. Like, even he died in 1990, and he never came forward to say that it was a hoax or anything, so it makes you wonder. Yeah, and people tried to trip him up, but, uh, you know, they never did. And uh, like you said, he told his story frequently over the next few years from the original first uh, contact he had, alleged contact. And like I say, John Keel interviewed him also and talked about him a little bit in this book, and it's uh, pretty interesting. I haven't actually read his book, but uh, you know he's got the one called "Visitors from Lanolos." Uh, in L A N U L O S, that was supposedly the planet. 
where this Mr. Cold was from. So, you know, it uh, it would have been another person to be interested in to uh, have met and interviewed. So I'm a little jealous of both John Keel and the Mary Hire there. The, they got to be right in the heart of uh, a UFO wave. And also throw in the Mothman. And, man, they had plenty of stuff going on. Then throw in the men in black and <laughs> the possibly government coming in because there was some military folks that come in and talk to them also that were interested in all these. They wanted to know what's going on with this Mothman sighting and these UFO sightings and, you know, why is it happening in this area? From the Mothman Prophecies. The following night, we returned to the same hilltop. The brilliant night sky was filled with stars and things not on my star map. We could easily recognize the UFOs because they were brighter and more brilliantly colored than normal stars. Some were red flashers and some were gold purple blobs and some were multicolored. Mrs. Hire confirmed that they jumped out of the way of my flashlight. I picked out an especially large object and flashed descend in Morse code. Mary gasped and it began to lose altitude. Looks like it's falling down a flight of stairs, she noted. We were watching the famous falling leaf motion, which has been described by many UFO witnesses. About 12.30 a.m., Mrs. Hire decided to call tonight. She drove off, leaving me alone in my car, sitting like an idiot, waiting for something to happen. And it did. One hour later, at 1.35 a.m. on April 3, 1967, I had my best sighting. A clearly defined circular object suddenly zipped down from the sky and passed parallel to my car. It was so colorful that it is burned into my memory. The greenish upper surface was topped by a bright red light. There were reddish portholes or circular lights around the rim. The colors were so brilliant they were almost unearthly. It disappeared behind some trees to my left. I felt it was very close, perhaps only a few hundred feet from my car. Although it had been in full view for several seconds, I never even thought of picking up the movie camera on the seat beside me. I had three interesting physical reactions to this sighting. First of all, although I'm used to prowling graveyards and TNT areas alone at night, I was scared to death. My first thought was to start the car and get out of there. but. I managed to brace myself. I did lock the car doors. Second, while I was watching the object, thought I heard a sizzling or hissing sound. Later, I realized I couldn't be sure if the sound had been real. Third, the next morning, my eyes were sore and reddened. They felt like they were full of sand. I had a mild case of conjunctivitis, and it persisted for several days. We've had different uh, UFO waves or flaps, as sometimes we're called, over the years. Uh, you and I talked about the 1973, the uh, late summer, early fall, about this time. It was a rash of sightings, especially across the Appalachians and the East Coast. And I was uh, a teenager at that time, so uh, definitely piqued my interest. And you didn't get to see as much. Uh, of course, there was no Internet then. You saw a little bit sometimes uh, maybe a blurb on a, a TV news channel and of course you didn't have all the news channels that you do now you had like three channels <laughs> the three major networks and sometimes you would get a story in the newspaper but it wasn't covered as much it just wasn't uh, 
people didn't believe in it or they just didn't want to cover it because they didn't understand it. And, but uh, I would love to see uh, another UFO wave happen now. Uh, knowing what I know now over the years and, and knowing people like you and others, it would be pretty neat to, to go out and see if we could see a UFO. <laughs> There's so many drones and stuff nowadays. You'd think that somebody would fly one up to a UFO, kind of like the, the one that was hovering over Williamson there in 2012, it'd be cool to just fly a drone right up to that thing. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, though, that one that, that I was a witness to and wrote a story about for the newspaper, the Williamson Daily News at that time, it was so high altitude-wise, I don't know if a, a drone we could even made it up that far. It was it was pretty high. I'm not good with uh, measurements and uh, aeronautical science, but it was pretty high. And I, as I said in the interviews I'd done, and I think I told you that what I noticed after a while that jets fly near that uh, UFO that not only was seen here in Williamson, but over toward Pikeville, Kentucky, and really the whole region had hundreds of witnesses. It was a daytime sighting. And uh, it was uh, different. It was strange. And uh, but like I said, I was, and people asked me, were said, were they military jets? Well, again, they were so high up, I couldn't tell. But I did know a lot of saw a lot of planes or jets fly near this thing. It made me think maybe they were military and they were checking it out because you've heard that over the years many times when there's been UFO sightings. That there's always uh, jets come in. Like I guess they were scrambled from wherever. It was picked up on radar, and they come checking it out. And, uh, and I'm not going to say they were, but it's a possibility that they were. John Keel and Mary Hire would pretty much have it down to a science. They knew what day of the week to look for them and everything. It was kind of odd. Oh, yeah. It's like they would go out to a certain hill, they called it, and it'd be night, and they'd camp out. And I'm saying camp out. They'd just be parked there, maybe get out with their coffee or whatever, and flashlights and camera and it seems like I never could get a good picture, though, that it was always, uh, you know, or if they did, something would happen to the film when it was developed. don't see a whole lot of reports coming out of Point Pleasant anymore, but it'd be interesting to see if I man could find the same mountain where they stayed at and just see if that stuff is still going on, if they could see those lights on a certain day of the week. Yeah, I don't know if... I think it would be reported if they were, but, you know, there, as we said, there's UFO ways that happen, and there may be a time that comes up, but you'll see that again. And if that's the case, it would be a good time to, to go there and, yeah, check it out. Go up there at night and see if you see the strange lights that, that they saw and others that saw during that time. It's been a few years now. From the Mothman Prophecies. Three or four days after my monumental UFO sighting, I was sitting in Mary's office when she became very thoughtful. You know, there's something I've been meaning to tell you, she said hesitantly. I don't know why, but it always seems to slip my mind. That night, I left you early, the night you saw the colored disc. When I got to Route 2 and started for Point Pleasant, I saw a big globe of light right on the river. I couldn't figure out what it was, but I didn't stop. The funny thing is, I forgot completely. I didn't remember it until a day or so afterward and then I forgot again I can't understand it I've always had a very good memory I was reading one that um, in the Mothman prophecies they saw that red light that went into the cloud and disappeared for several minutes and then it, when it finally did reappear from the other side it was like a plane and I've heard that with 
more recent reports, like in the early 2000s stuff, too. It was kind of odd. Yeah. There was one I saw one time when Brandon was little. I had him over at the park, and I saw what looked kind of more like a plane went into a cloud, and it just never did come out. Yeah, that's Twilight Zone stuff. <laughs> different time dimension or something. Yeah, they saw lots of different kinds of lights and UFOs up there during that time. I took a picture of a plane one time uh, seven or eight years ago, and it's just a low flying plane. I was testing my camera out to see if I could get a picture of it. And whenever I pulled it up on the computer, look, it had like this weird, like digital waves or something around the plane. So I started thinking, I wonder if that is a UFO in disguise. Well, you know, you never know. I'd, I'd like to, I wish we'd have another wave like that where you, you know, people were seeing them every night. Because that's what they did here. People would drive out to a certain hill and. <laughs> can't stay there all night or half the night watching for them, you know, and many times they saw stuff. I've had three good sightings over the years myself, and I know a lot of other people have had it also, and and I know what, they weren't, <laughs> they weren't planes or helicopters or, or satellites or whatever, so, you know. There's Air Force bases close by, and they like to fly over uh Topography here for training missions. Sometimes they come down pretty low. <laughs> I know some people get a little scared when they fly over. I know you've uh, seen them before. I've seen them before. I've been out in my car or just been outside, and those jets fly over. I mean, I've been. They flew over one time where I was at the the car I was in. I was parked. It shook the car. <laughs> they were on training missions. That shows you how low they come down and doing those training missions. So you got to admire those uh, those pilots and anybody in the military that are doing those missions. It's, it's pretty cool that they sometimes uh, practice and train over our area. But, uh, you know, as far as Mothman, there's been alleged sightings at other places over the years. Uh, I don't know if it's just somebody gets excited when they hear about it or read about it or see the movie, but you know, in different places. I think you mentioned there have been sightings in Chicago and and other places. And then I always wondered if it was, uh, you know, there was there's been reports of uh, they call them thunderbirds. Uh, you've heard of those or winged creatures that look like a man. That's been a lot of those have been reported a lot of different places over the years. And I had one guy from up in Boone County, West Virginia, mention to me one time. Asked me if I'd ever heard anything about those. That somebody told them they saw one of those up in that area, but I've not heard much about that. But it makes you think it's, it's similar to Mothman. Uh, even down in the, an area that we're familiar with in Wayne County, that's just across the border from our county in Mingo, in Crum, West Virginia. I think there was a guy allegedly thought he saw a Mothman-type creature there. So. <laughs> Here's that story that Kyle was talking about. UFOs over West Virginia town remind many of Mothman. This is from July 31st, 2018. As the legendary Mothman returned to West Virginia, one might think so with the amount of attention being given to photographs taken in Crum, West Virginia, less than two hours from Point Pleasant, which show an unidentified flying object that could, and apparently do, appear to some to be a flying winged humanoid similar to Mothman. Is it the real deal? 
Why has one photo gotten so much attention when a similar flying humanoid picture just a few weeks earlier in the same city seems to be ignored? Is Crump becoming a new Mothman or UFO hotspot in West Virginia? Was cutting grass in my yard today, saw a pretty cloud. Took two pictures of the cloud, didn't see anything but the cloud when I was taking pictures. Afterward, when I noticed the strange black object in both of the pictures. That's the report to MUFON accompanying two photos. And I'll put those photos on the YouTube version of this so you can check them out. And they're also in the show notes. Accompanying two photos taken on the evening of July 25th, 2018. The magnified version looks more like an object than a flying humanoid, prompting comments on some sites showing that it resembles a ship, a kite, a drone, or a balloon. On the flying humanoid side, there are suggestions of Mothman or a human in a flying suit, glider wing, or parachute. I was taking pictures of the clouds and sunset in Crumb, West Virginia around 5.30 p.m. on June 15, 2018. At the time of the photo, there was no birds of any kind flying. I didn't even notice it until later when I was checking my photos. I took dozens of photos that day, and this was the only image with the strange dark looking object in it. The photo looks more like a flying human, but could also be a large bird or a camera anomaly, especially since it reportedly only appeared in one series of the photos. That could explain why it hasn't received as much attention as the later photograph. Why Crum, the southwestern West Virginia town, is tiny. Population around 182, close to the borders of Ohio and Kentucky, and about 100 miles from Point Pleasant. Speculation that these photos might be humans in flying suits or parachutes comes on the heels of an article by Nick Redfern, which details how some people believed at least some of the 1966 Point Pleasant Mothman sightings were actually Green Beret parachutes, wearing luminous paint in secret training exercises before being sent to Vietnam. Parachuting, parasailing, personal gliders, jet wings, and jetpacks have come a long way since 1966. Could these new sightings in Crum be something similar? Crum residents would be wise to keep their eyes to the skies if they want to prove that Mothman or some other flying entity has moved in and they want to capture it, get rid of it, or turn it into an annual festival. And me and Kyle investigated a few uh, stories in Crum, and it's a very mysterious little town. You know, people have seen uh, some strange things uh, for more than 60 years. Stan Gordon talked about a bunch of those Thunderbird sightings around Pennsylvania. It's pretty wild stuff, those Thunderbirds. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. makes you wonder if it's not... The Mothman kind of sighting or similar to that that people saw, and you know, were are they seeing big birds? Just like around here, we have the blue herons that have <laughs> made their nest down on the Tug River where we live, and they've got a pretty big wingspan. You know, there's people that said those are what people saw, and sometimes they were out at night. They just their imaginations got 
carried away, and that's what they were seeing. I mean, I was watching, I was walking my dog the other morning, and I saw blue heron all the way, and I'm about three miles from the river, but sometimes they'll come up in the tributaries and the small creeks looking for fish to eat. And I'd seen the, the, one of the blue herons in this area where I live. Uh, that's about the third time I've seen them in the morning. <laughs> So, but it does startle you because you're not expecting it. Looking that early in the morning at seven, eight o'clock, look up and there's a big bird that normally lives in near the ocean. We saw one over at Pipeville Lake one day, uh, sitting there next to the shore, and it was a big bird. But uh, I don't think they're those people were mistaking those for something like a Mothman type thing. Yeah. I think it's some kind of uh, swamp gas explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Talk a little bit about the festival, and you know a lot more about it than I do. I, I hate the fact that this pandemic has caused the cancellation of it now two years in a row because it, it brings thousands of people there. And I know you always go dressed as a man in black, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're pretty well known up there now. And by the, the folks that continue to come there, and there's a lot of other writers and UFO researchers that show up, at, uh, and you've met a lot of good people. Uh, at the Mothman Festival. It's a real cool atmosphere. All those uh, people, you don't have to worry about somebody snickering behind your back. Oh, he believes in UFOs. <laughs> people that are like, uh, like-minded, like I guess they would say. <laughs> That's why they're there in the first place. So, pretty cool. Yeah, it's neat to get to meet all those authors and stuff and just sitting around at their tables out on the street waiting for somebody to come by and talk to them. Yeah. And uh, they've got the Those uh, presentations in the state theater are really cool too. To hear the authors tell stories from their books and about witnesses and stuff, I always enjoy going into the theater and listening. Oh yeah, yeah, those are always good. I got to go to one of those uh, that they had in St. Albans, West Virginia, a few years ago, uh, right outside of Charleston. It was really good, and you had that's when I got to meet Stanton Friedman and interview him and become friends with him, and you had. Uh, the uh, Jeff Walmsley, who wrote uh, about the Mothman, he's a, a teacher. Lives he's from the Point Pleasant area, and from up there, and he knows a lot about it. And he was there also, and it was uh, as you say, a good atmosphere because you had a lot of people there um, that uh, were similar and like-minded, and brought a lot of interesting topics and conversations to the. To the table but uh yeah i'd like to head up there and go check it out I may do that some some saturday anyway uh even though there's pandemic going on you go now it's not going to be that crowded you get got some good weather now and heading into the fall be a good little uh saturday trip head up there see the the mothman statue that's right there in downtown point pleasant and maybe check out the the museum and and uh, just check it out. I've been wanting to make my way back up there for a while now, too. Yeah, maybe we can make a day trip out of it. Here's one more story from the Mothman Prophecies. Every night, I went to the hill at Five Mile Creek Road, sometimes alone, sometimes accompanied by a few others. And every night, I saw a variety of strange aerial objects. Only two airplanes passed over on a regular schedule one at 11 p.m. and another at 2 a.m. Each night from 3 to 8, unidentified stars, quote, 
appeared. They were always in the same position at the beginning of the evening and a casual observer would automatically conclude they were really just stars. However, on overcast nights, these unidentifieds will be the only stars in the sky, meaning they were below the clouds, while the rest of the night sky slowly rotated. These phony stars would remain in their fixed positions, sometimes for hours, before they would begin to move. They would travel in any direction, up, down, clockwise, etc. They had a number of curious traits. When a plane would fly over, they would suddenly dim or go out altogether. As soon as the plane was gone, they would flare up again. It was always impossible to judge their size, altitude, or distance. Sometimes I thought they were relatively close, only to find they were actually miles away, traversing the river. Boatmen on the river were obviously watching them also. Occasionally, a searchlight from the riverboat would suddenly shoot into the sky, aim straight at the object I was watching, and the object would skitter out of the way. I doubted that these funny lights were spaceships from Andromeda, and I made strenuous effort to find rational explanations. It uh, was interesting. And uh, like I say, he he spent a lot of time in West Virginia, even though he was from up in New York. He would go back to New York, though, and continuously stay in contact with Mary Hire and other people that he became acquainted with back in West Virginia and Ohio and and he would hear there was a bunch of other sightings he would hop in his car and head back down and even though he didn't have a lot of money at that time he was just a freelance writer and trying to make it he would come down and and check it out and write the stories and of course it led to his uh, Mothman Prophecies book which ended up being a bestseller and he wrote a couple other books and and he, unfortunately he left us too soon how can people reach out to you on Facebook or reach out to us if they see a UFO? Well, we've got our uh, UFO Facebook page, uh, Appalachian UFO Research Society Facebook page. Uh, you can find it, uh, typing that in. Uh, and uh, if anybody has a sighting in uh, our region, uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, Virginia, Tennessee, anywhere, in Appalachia, which we talked about before, the Appalachian Mountains reach all the way from New York State all the way down to Georgia and Alabama. But uh, West Virginia is the only state that's entirely in the Appalachian Mountain region. But, uh, you know, go on there and uh, you can contact us on there, me or uh, Junebug. And if you've got a sighting, uh, tell us about it or a picture or a good video. We'd like to see it. And, you know, uh, I'm out of my books uh, right now, but uh, I think there's still a few bookstores around that may have them, or you might be able to find it on Amazon.com. Just type in my name and Appalachian UFOs, and it uh, should pop up. You might be able to find one out there somewhere. I've got two out. There's volume one, volume two. and Like I say, I hope in the future to get this third one published. Uh, I, I joked with you before, I can't get the get it published. I said, uh, evidently, it's getting blocked by the government. <laughs> but, uh, all joking aside, uh, it, it's a pretty good one, too. I continue, I want to continue to to write about this uh, subject. I know a lot of people, it, uh, in the past, people would uh, look at you differently, but uh, that's changed over the years, the stereotype of UFOs. More people believe now, if you look at the polls, that there are something to this phenomena than uh, than in the past, and uh, it's an interesting subject, and it's 
something that I think we'll continue to find out about over the years. Hopefully, one day we'll know the truth. As the old X-Files slogan said, the truth is out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd like to encourage all of our listeners in the area here around Mingo County area, especially if you see a UFO to holler at us so we can get out and investigate. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we've done a couple investigations before, and we'd like to get some fresh new ones if you've seen a UFO, got a picture, or if you're seeing these over two or three nights in a row, you know, let us know. Reach out to us, and we'll check it out. Uh, who knows? There might be something to it. We might be able to get air cameras or video and, and get some real evidence. Yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming on again, and welcome back anytime. Anytime our schedules can align. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. I always enjoyed talking to you and talking about this subject. And, and like I say, hopefully we'll have another UFO wave and in the near future, and uh, we'll, uh, or maybe a couple of good cases that are close to us, and we can get out there and investigate them and talk about them and see what's going on. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you, Kyle Lovern, for being on the show. And thank you, Mr. Haunted, for the cool news articles. We're going to close out our series of Mothman next week with some of the more recent Mothman sightings that have occurred in other areas of the world. God bless you and see ya.